Hello, welcome to Integral Yoga Podcast. Today I am joined by Swami Murugananda, who met Swami Sachidananda in 1966 when he came to America and has been with the organization for over 50 years. So Swamiji, I'd like to start by asking this question. What matters to you? Oh, what matters? What matters most, I think, is being compassionate, kind, and understanding your mind, watching it, observing. An observation, you can learn a lot. Hmm. So is, is that important because that is the step that leads to some kind of growth and improvement? So once, once you're watching, you're observing, then you can become aware, and then naturally you'll make hopefully positive adjustments? Yes. So uh, you, you understand what's happening. You understand the process, uh, and therefore the root of what is going on with anything by first observing, but that's only the first part, mm. and then then assessing, and and then questioning, always to question, what it what's the truth? Who am I? Who am I really? Am I just this accumulation of stuff that was imposed on me from outside, or? Is there some essence that transcends that? So that's important to know. And what do you feel like is the answer? Ah, uh, well, let's see. That's that's, <laughs> that's the root of all, all of the, what we're here for to to know. So, first, the truth is that all of the things you're conditioned to believe that has been imposed upon you. And this is common everywhere in the world, wherever you go. Uh, that is not the truth. That is not who you are. But that's who we frequently identify with. We identify with all of the stuff that people have told us we are whatever you want to call it. And uh, But that can't be it because that comes from outside, right? So, we are emanations of that universal divine consciousness, the matrix that connects everything to everything, every pebble of time and space. It's all from that, is that, and but, but it, we express it in different ways. So a personality, say, is sort of an expression from that, but that's just persona. Persona is a mask. It's not the reality. So what I hear is that whatever it is that we, that we are is something to, to be honored. Uh, it, it seems special in a way. Would you agree with that? Oh, so you mean the expression of how this universal consciousness is expressed 
in different ways. So everybody has a different uh, quality, right? And and some are just uh, quiet people, and some do other things in service and whatever. Uh, some go to war. Some uh, cut salami. <laughs> anything, <laughs> right? So I guess yes. It's, you could say, if you look at it all as something from pure consciousness, but people acting that in whatever ways they do are not always acting out of any consciousness. So that's a different. That's a different question. Yeah, well, I I kind of I mean it on this level, uh, in the sense that, and I know that you enjoy uh like learning about space and and the universe uh so on the level of you know just living on earth or being a part of earth and being able to at least see you know pretty far in all directions in the universe and we haven't found any planet quite like earth so on that on that level just to be a part of earth and living here in this just uh wealth of life and variety isn't that a special thing yeah sure <laughs> the fact that we're conscious beings living on a beautiful planet filled with a variety such huge variety of living things it's it's astonishing it's it's awesome as the people would say it is awe-inspiring awesome it's a word overused mm. I think it's a sacred word that should be applied to the places that are that, not not because somebody drives a pedal pusher car or something. <laughs> that's not us. That, that's just ordinary. Right. Well, the, the the beginning of the word awe. Yes. Right. Is I'm very interested in in just awe and in in seeing more more awe in in life. Uh, to me, that that's that's a key and. I think if 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 perhaps the ego can be put aside, right, and and this idea of kind of separation and how do we look and what other people think about us, then does that open the door to seeing more awe and wonder in life? Uh, say, say, rephrase that sure. question. Do you find if you can kind of put put aside, you know? how you're viewed by others, you know, the, maybe the ego oh, realm, okay. then does that open you up to just seeing wonder and awe uh, everywhere? Yeah, you see, that's that's a good point. So, so much of what we do, we think, oh, will people really like me with this? Will this be nice? Yeah, we do that a lot, don't we? And, and, and a lot of people wonder, oh, what will people think? And especially with all this modern tech, uh, Facebook and and uh, TV and movies and so on, all of that is, oh, people are going to love me for doing this. And that blocks off really understanding what there is around, you know. So we have to work outside of that. And then it comes on, this beauty of whatever there is. You know, if you look at little 
little, little children walking and they'll stop at every leaf and every bush mm. and they'll look at it and see, they're taking everything in. Everything is like new to them. So every moment, every second is like 10 minutes to you uh, because uh, they're living right at that moment and uh, the life is just beginning. So wouldn't it be great if we could do that? Live every moment just like that. We, we walk so fast, we miss what's around us. We miss uh, the magic. Mm. So, and Do you uh, think that a lot of that yeah, has to do, do that. with the uh, overusage of words? That we're talking so much and we're being inundated with just a wealth of 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 words to listen to that it it blocks us from from being in the moment and and seeing the wonder as you're describing yeah everybody's walking around with their cell phone wondering how many messages they have somebody didn't call them within 15 seconds when they message them that they're they're worried and they're constantly doing that and they're totally not engaged with who's there and the moment and the surrounding. They're just looking at the phones. That's a, that's a big loss. Yeah, and then what you're saying, we're inundated with information hmm. that comes in all these different forms, visual and just words. All the, because we've always had words, but now we're like flooded with information constantly and i know that that's what i do too mm. but i also know that you're you're not one that says uh you know like no to technology i find oh, no. that you that you really admire technology oh yeah i and love you, it and you appreciate it so and i feel that way too so for me the question is 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 then you know how do we kind of work these new uh technologies into our lives in an appropriate way and i what I think is that it really requires discipline, uh, the right amount. So, okay, like the phone is, is, is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful tool, but am I becoming addicted to it? And am I able to set it down? So I don't really know if we're, we're um, set up to have the discipline that it takes. Mm, yeah. That's a very good point, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, oh, yes, that's, that's right. We just get... And 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 it's like uh, an addiction, and, and then the addiction is supported by the whole society because everybody is saying, "Okay, that's good. You're not going to die from this. It's not like opium overdose, opiates, and drugs, but it is a drug because it numbs you from seeing what their possibilities are." On the other hand. People can use technology to be creative and be artistic and that so forth. But but yeah, what you're saying is right. Uh, the technology is really good, but it's our and it's a legal addiction. It's supported by the whole culture and and society and subcultures and uh, it's reinforced. It's constantly builds up in itself. We think it's great. We put more into it. The more we put into it, the more these corporate 
entities uh, flood you. The more you flood it, the more you're going to want to do, and it and it's, goes in a cycle. It, it keeps building on itself. It's self-supporting, and yeah, yeah, you have to walk out of it. I was just reading this wonderful little post on Facebook, with John Muir. Mm-hmm. So John Muir, people would say, oh, you're hiking in the woods. He says, I don't like hiking, because hike is like hard. I mm-hmm. prefer sauntering. And he said, do you know where the word saunter comes from? No. Okay, well, it used to be in, in French, um, Saint-Terre. Saint-Terre means like the holy land. See the holy land. And, uh, and that's where Santa, oh, that's a really brilliant. I never knew that. And uh, so here was the man who really supported the creation of the National uh, Sierra Club and uh, environmental protection and so forth. And yeah, wow, that's a great idea put down all the technology for a day, for a day, and just saunter through the woods <laughs> like a child. Be like a, like a, a two-year-old. And you walk with a two-year-old, and you, you can't walk fast. And you do these little things, and they're enchanted by everything. Three-year-old, four-year-old, then, then they kind of change. But, but yeah, that's neat. Hmm. What do you think about the, the power of uh, our social environments and what, what people are doing around us and how that, that affects us? Uh, so in relation to, to what you're just describing, right? Even there's this association of, you know, hiking in, in the woods and, you know, what that means. And perhaps, you know, many people think that that's not an appealing activity to do, um, you know, instead, you know, I'm going to go to, you know, the bar, you know, a few times a week and, and, you know, consume a lot of alcohol and, and everyone's doing it. So this tendency to kind of, uh, um, ascribe how we're doing in terms of how we're relating to, to other human beings, as opposed to having just a clean slate and just saying, this is what I feel. Uh, this is what I feel that I want to do. Um, I think that's what you're talking about with the two-year-old. They're, the two-year-old is not comparing what they spend their time doing in a day to anyone else. They're just doing what what, what feels right to them. Um, so I, just anything to say about the power of our social in, environments and, I don't know, the any tools that you use to kind of live by, by your own code, beat by your own drum, and not be so influenced by what's happening with other human beings around you? Oh, interesting. It's almost impossible to completely dissociate yourself from a societal pressure, isn't it? Even if you live in a, in a, in an ascetic monastery, you're living by some rule. Everybody's getting up at the same time and <clears throat> doing their practice and 
wearing the same dress, you know. Uh, so even if you're living in a monastery that's absolute silent, like a Carthusian or Camaldolese uh, uh, Trappist, and you just go and do a little work in the field, then do your prayer, you're still doing a, a very structured thing, isn't it? And in almost any society, there's some structure, and even more structure in what we call natural society. They have tremendous rules and and not always explicitly known, but there are a lot of rules. What about in schools? Like right away with children, you're saying, you know, here are your grades compared to how all the other students do. The whole system is set up to compare how we're doing with the people around us. Yeah, we do that. Well, there's some schools that don't do that. They don't give grades. So that's a way. Okay, but you were saying something different there about following your own drum Mm. and... Uh, so that's quite difficult. You have to first know what it is, what your what your drum is separate from what you think society should proclaim you should do, and uh, it's hard to find that, isn't it? Uh, but eventually, you do, you know. And, and then you find suddenly that you have uh, something terrific. Uh, you, you find the energy to create, to be creative about something. That's what you want to do. Uh, and sometimes you, you don't even think that you could do such a thing like that. It would never occur to you. But there it is. Everybody has that element within them. Just find it and do it. And so that's why I always admire these really creative people uh, that I've known who just take some pieces of metal and with it would be on a junk pile and weld them together. Swami Tiagananda did that. You just take these and it would come out to be an amazing thing. You take a stone just a beautiful round flat stone or, or just rounded stone and paint something on one side, paint something, and whoa, look at that. Who would think of that? And it's, it's it just lives in that place of uh, creativity till it's just a natural thing. And it's that's awesome, I think, mm. you know, Agreed. to do that. A- any, any of these things that we do, planting a beautiful like landscape or whatever, you could make it into something. It could be anything. You know, there are people who have perfected painting houses. They're really good at it. They're really good at fixing cars. Okay. It doesn't have to be artistic, but but then if you get drudgery and, and, and it becomes like a drudge. And then all your escape is to go drink alcohol or something like that. Uh, that is... Uh, 
that becomes a, a, a burden, isn't it? A burdensome life. You're just making your die. And sometimes you're, there are millions of people that have to do that. They have to make their living, support their families, children, and so forth. And that's what they, that's their, I don't know, you call it karma? You could say that. It's so complex. There's so many ways of expressing and living. It's not just one thing, you know. And not everybody has the, the um, leisure and the ability to do what I, what I was saying about creativity and so forth. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, how would you explain what integral yoga means? Oh, my gosh. Well, I don't have like a personal definition. All I would say is what Gurudev had put out, that, that integral yoga takes all of the traditional uh, uh, pathways of yoga, bhakti yoga, Karma yoga, hatha yoga, raja yoga. But the center of it is really raja yoga. That's the core of it, the center stone. Even though it started out with basically hatha yoga, and those were the classes, all hatha. In the very beginning, when Gurudev came and set up the Integral Yoga Institute, 500 West End Avenue. He gave two satsangs a week. One satsang was question and answer, and one satsang was yoga sutras. So that was very beginning, and the very first things he recommended is to read about yoga were yoga sutras by by Christopher Isherwood, uh, How to Know God. That's that's the only book he, he recommended. Two books that were just two versions of the Yoga Sutras. That's it, not a Hatha Yoga book. And Hatha Yoga was used just to get people started, and they put in a little uh, chanting. So just, and it's all about the energy and meditation. So the goal was meditation. You start with Hatha. So in, in Yoga Sutras, there's only one sutra on asana, shiram sukham asanam, easy, comfortable as asana. That's it. No, no other things are mentioned. The whole purpose of all of that is to sit for a long time for meditation. That's it. So why would you say that the Raja Yoga is at the center? What's, what's so important about Raja Yoga? Because that's about going to the center of who you are. And it's sort of like a, a guidebook on that, you see. And in meditation and whatever, it sort of gives you a, a psychology book on uh, the self. So I'll tell you another thing Gurudev said. This is not known by most people. 
he was given an interview, a radio interview in Sri Lanka. Okay, and someone at the the questioner asked, "What books do you read?" He said, "I carry only two or three books. The first is the Raja Yoga by Swami Vivekananda, and Tirukkural, and maybe one of the other Tamil books like Tiruvachakam." And and that was it. And when he, when I was there with him in his house, and he was giving me his book collection, he put aside that little Raja Yoga book to keep. So mm. that was it. So that's a, those are little known unknown facts. Uh, that that. Uh, that's the core thing. See? And how would you uh, describe your relationship with Gurudev? Oh my gosh. Well, first, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I was completely ignorant about proper decorum and respect and the way you address a guru. And I just say, yes, sir, shake his hand. I didn't, what I know, nothing. And then I thought, okay, he's, I met other people before, but he was the first who was so generous and accepting of everyone. And one of the things I remember is that at a big talk at this Universalist church in New York, very crowded, and then at the end, this little child came to him with flowers. And he was so accepting, so loving. I said, this is a real mensch. This is a real man of honor. And I'll, I'll listen to. First, I thought, he's going to be telling me what I'm supposed to know, what my path is, and that kind of thing. Because I didn't know where to go and what to do or who I was, or nothing. And, and you know, there was no magic like thing that happened. He didn't tell me. And when I asked him something about how, uh, making a decision about doing some things, it varied two or three times. And he said, well, if I tell you what to do, you will do it because I told you. What do you want to do? Mm. You find out. And that took me a long time to figure out the true thing is to know what you know that comes from you, that you discover, then it's yours. Otherwise, it's not yours. It, it's someone else's. So that's one thing. And the other thing was he was a very, very close friend. He, he helped me out in things. When I came out of hospital, he would come to my room unasked for. I didn't ask him to come. I didn't even know he was coming to my room. I was just knocked out in the bed. He couldn't do anything. And he came and he held my hand, sat by my bed. Uh, when I started the web page, and I said to somebody, I think I need a camera. And he sent me his first camera, gave it to me. 
Then he called me and he said, where are you? I said, I'm here in Shivananda. He said, stay there. Don't go anywhere. I'm sending you a better camera. He would do things like that. It was so many times, in so many ways, he was like a, a kind and generous friend and like I was his son. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, the first name that I got when I asked when I, after some years, I thought, I'd like a name. And he gave me this name, Arumugam, and he said, that's the name of my son in a previous life. I said, what? What does that mean? So someone told me, well, the term previous life means before he was a Swami. This is a previous life. So that's true. His eldest son was Armugam, and he gave me that name. So, so you see, it's a lot of things. What I'm hearing, I think, is uh, the word that comes to mind is respect. It sounds like maybe you felt that he respected you. Oh, yes. Clearly, you respected him. Oh, so, yes. You know, it was. How, how important is it for, it for healthy relationships for us to respect each other? Ah, that's a very good question. Yes, we should honor the space that the other person is occupying and and that's what it's about so first you even more than you 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 ask you anticipate you know ahead of time if you really know your partner or your friend you know just what they need before they ask you mm-hmm. and and you'll know what the limit is without asking them. And, and you'll know uh, not to step on their limit or boundary, but ask if you need to, so you, you should ask, and that's respectful. You ask first, okay, look, I need to do this. Can we, can we compromise? So, so they have to, it's a two-way thing. They have to compromise, too. So then it works. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, I also wanted to touch on something that you mentioned about, you know, when you would ask Gurudev for advice, you know, he he really, he wouldn't give you the answers. And, and how important is this for kind of us to remember that we need to take ownership over the decisions, right? Personally, I find it one of the most challenging aspects of being in relations with, with other people. Um, it's often you forget the difference in between kind of following a script, and that's what I would call when someone else, you know, says to you, okay, you should do this. This would be a good idea. As opposed to that, like, awakening that happens inside of you where you take ownership of, of an idea and you say, boom, right there, that's, that's what I should be doing. I, I should know it. And in a way, you could have the same thing. You can have the, the idea that sparks in your mind and you could have someone else telling you the exact same idea. But the follow through, I think the outcome will be totally different depending on 
whether or not this is something that was sparked in you or some external force said, oh, you should really be be doing that. Um, is this a, kind of an important aspect of the spiritual path is to kind of take ownership o- over what we do in our lives and um, to look inward to find the answers as opposed to, you know, seeing that someone else kind of knows what's best for us better than, than we do? Yeah, you know, a lot of people here and in any other places as well, you know, whether it's in a community, the church or whatever it is, some people go to seminars to be told how to live better. Some people spend huge amounts of money to be told what they should be doing or feeling or thinking. And so most of the time, people are asleep in a Gurdjieff sense. They're, they're just consciously asleep and they want someone else to tell them what to do or how to do or who they are or what they are. And we've I've done that because I didn't know. So if someone else is going to tell me, someone who knows better is going to tell me. And so we all do that at some point, right? Whether we go to a priest or a rabbi or whoever, um, or w- watch some super church guy on TV or, or go to some seminar and spend $4,000. So this guy, the only guy who benefits is the guy who's making the money. I go to a TED talk. I don't have my clicker. I need the red circle. <laughs> says, I think I'll do that. Um, okay. So I think it's very few who like yours do what you're saying that um, look at what their own inner word is saying and follow that because it's been quieted off with you know it hardly exists anymore it's hardly there uh, it's not that it's not there we don't hear it anymore. It's been shoved aside under the bushels and buried. So first thing is to know that there's something, and then it takes a real lot of work uncovering and unwrapping the thousand layers of the onion, mm-hmm. as it was called by someone else. And uh, the thousand layers of the onion, in the middle is the nothing (laughs) but that's the essence is there so yeah i don't think we mostly don't do that um see if you're going to say about claiming ownership first you have to find out what it is that you can own Mm. and what is there to own and then you when you're in that place, you already know what it is, and you already uh, are in touch with that, uh, plugged in. So the whole process is getting plugged in, getting the juice. And then you're at a higher level, a holy level. So that's where we 
it's difficult. And maybe going back to one of the first things we talked about is, you know, viewing yourself as something you use the word holy, right? But I think that the trap maybe is 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 when we get into comparing how we are again with other people. I'm holier than someone else. No, oh. I don't think. I think. What, what if everyone is holy? What if just the, the process of, of of being alive itself is 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 holy? Yeah, um, you yeah. know, if this a good. Here's the thing: if you speak to someone in that way, to that place in them which is that that carries that you will be amazed at how much uh, you get in return. If you go to the supermarket and your checkout line, you see the name tag on the person, you say, hi, Emily, how are you today? And you really mean it. And then, wow, it'll light up. That instant, that little moment of light is worth everything. So I, I've experienced that kind of thing. You know, you go to the coffee bar and you engage with that person who's serving you the coffee for even just a moment. Look at them and engage with something and bang, it lights them up, makes the day, even for a moment. So that's, I think, what we should do. Mm. I really wanted to ask you about a conversation that we were having the other day. You were telling we were talking about the Garden of Eden. Oh Genesis, boy! And you—that's a big. You thing. you mentioned though uh, a question that you asked your father when you were a very little boy. You said you were maybe four or five uh, years old. Can you can you tell us what what that was? Well, okay. It's it's interesting. So in school they're teaching about this the book of Genesis and they're saying, Oh, Adam ate the fruit from the tree of knowledge, it's that they don't mention what kind of fruit it is, by the way. It's not a single word in that story, it's a story, okay, that mentions a name of a fruit. It just says fruit. And so it's nonsense to say apple because nobody knew about cultivating apples whenever that was over there. So I asked, okay, so he eats this fruit and then they're expelled, kicked out of the gated city and then they have to fend for themselves and till the soil and all that. Okay, so the thing was this. God kicks them out. That's their comeuppance. But you say God is omnipotent, omniscient, and all that. So, if that is true, then he knows everything. So it's a he. That's right away tells you something. (laughs) And uh, if he knows everything, then that thing has to happen. There's no uh, way out. This is what he knows. His knowing is just as good as it happens. It is. And and so, in that case, neither Adam nor Eve have responsibility 
for what they do because it had to happen. Therefore, they're not culpable. Therefore, they shouldn't be expelled. And they, they, they committed no wrongdoing. How could they do otherwise? They were set up. It was a setup, you know? God says, don't eat this. And, and they say, well, okay, and they do. And so it was, it was a setup. And I asked that question. And my father says, well, that's a good question. A lot of people ask that question, which is true. Determinism versus free will. That's the, the conundrum of philosophy. It's been going on for a long time. And, but nobody knows the answer. And I thought, okay, well, nobody knows the answer because this is just a story. And then it came to me later, okay, this is just a way of telling a story about a higher truth. That is, original condition is Garden of Eden is superconscious state. There's no duality. You're just in this superconscious state. Nothing, you don't do anything. You just are. You're just there. Is, isn't it? Suchness, tatagata, the self beyond the self. Nothing will happen. The world won't go on. If if original if you take that idea of original man, that means original being. So therefore, this tree of knowledge is is knowledge of separation, duality. So this is the idea that male, female, and duality. Uh, it was necessary in order for the this creation to continue on and propagate and so forth. So once you get into the state of consciousness of duality, you're no longer in the oneness state, so automatically you're out of Garden of Eden. It's not a place, it's a state of consciousness, a state of being. And that's switched off, like the the light is switched off and you're in this other place, bang, you're male, female, you have to start doing things, you have to start propagating, you have to start cultivating, and so forth. So that's what it, what I discovered in my own looking at it. Now that might not be the official darsh of the tradition I don't know, uh, but that's how I see it, and I think it's, I think it fits in with traditional. Uh, the only way, place you see that is in the Kabbalistic uh, scriptures, Kabbalistic writings like Zohar, that gives you the inner meaning of all those chapters. Mm. See. I'm not an expert on that. I love this idea that, you know, being in and out of the Garden of Eden is is really a mental state, right? Or a state of being, right? The state of this good yeah. state of consciousness. Right. Uh, the isness, non duality is within the Garden of Eden and separation uh is is outside. 
right? And so in a way, is would you say that that is the purpose of the integral yoga practices to uh, remind us uh, that we are connected, that we are not separate? Uh, well, that's a good question. I don't claim that that's the purpose of integral yoga, but I think that's a consequence of understanding the teachings, and it, it's a it's one of the one of the outcomes of that. Yes, right, right. That was one of the central teachings. Yes, isn't it? That that it's we are really one whole thing. Uh, that the religions are just vehicles for for do, doing that. Doesn't that change change everything when we feel that we're connected? The you know, I, my sense is that the feeling of loneliness is very pervasive. You know, in, in yes, the world, it is. and that so is that even is that the truth? You know, it, it does seem that we have a more intimate relationship with you know our bodies, with with our our personal vessels that we carry around with us. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're separate from from everything else. Um, and if if we're in that state of consciousness of of being connected, uh, that sense of loneliness uh, dissipates, does it not? How interesting what you're saying. You're saying that one side it's like a two sided thing. You connect it to the vessel that you call the body. So so you. You, you're making that contact with your own stuff, your body and your mind. So that's like a separation between you and the rest of humanity, say. And then on the other side, you say, also, we're all intimately connected, one network, one web of creation. So, oh, what a very interesting thought you have. <laughs> that, that, it's like, like um, two two opposite things in a way, almost that are exclusive, but living together. <laughs> you see. Mm. Uh, so we need to think about that a little bit more. That that's. A, I haven't ever thought of it that way. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I, my feeling is that you know we tend to jump to opposite sides of uh, a spectrum. Somehow there's this tendency, and maybe I would say it's due to social pressure to to pick teams and sides, right? Ah, uh, yeah, we're picking sides. So, yep. you know, either we're on the side of even you know based on this conversation, you know, duality or non-duality. So we're in one boat or the other. As opposed to finding, you know, the middle place, uh, which kind of says, okay, yes, I'm connected to everything else, but at the same time, you know, I, there's some kind of m- more intimacy with my own body than with, you know, the tree outside. Not that uh, I'm separate from the tree, but it's not quite the same. Okay, so here's what happens if you, if I hear you right, just living in the idea that you're connected to everything else you can you can kind of float around in 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 space and you have not grounded in anything you just space out 
Mm, exactly. And it's great, but but you don't really get anything done. And if you're if you connect it to your root of your being, and what you're here for, your purpose, then you serve some function in the world. You 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 can do something for good, and you can do something creative. So. Yeah, I think we have to function too and be connected to that place that you say, whatever it is inside. Staying connected, yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> I agree. I want to ask you about being a learner because I'm I'm amazed at the wealth of knowledge that you have and the variety of different things that you're interested in. Yeah. So is there anything you could offer, you know, reflecting on how it how it unfolded that way for you uh, and and how you learn uh, and how you take even new steps in different directions to become interested in new things? Oh, I don't know. It's always been there. Mm. You know, I've always interested in all these different things. And so I focused on one or two things. And then I said, wait, you know, I'm leaving out a lot of talents and skills, so I better learn something different and learn about uh, wood, learn about survival, learn about plants, learn about herbs, learn about farming. And, And I just don't know anything about baseball or cars. <laughs> Nothing at all about cars or baseball. I, I couldn't even tell you who's, uh, what team there is. So, well, there's so many different things so, to, to learn about it, like humbles us, right? Because yeah, you know, it's it, too many. It's, it's impossible. And, and uh, I, I try, but it's just daunting. To, so I focus on a few areas, and whenever I'm interested in something, I'll go explore. Well, and now with the massive internet, you can find out they'll, they'll have all talks about every subject and it's fascinating. So I'll go and follow a thread on mathematics or philosophy or computers or quantum or, or medicine or, or anything and just keep following it through and see, oh, ah, too many things, you know, can't, can't, can't hold, my head is exploding. There's too many data points. My sense is that you love to learn. Yeah. It's true, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, is that, did you have a positive experience when you were younger in school? Did you enjoy being, being a student? Huh. I guess it came from my father. He, he, but he was very limited and and circumscribed into just one or two areas, you know. But he really knew quite, and it wasn't like the deepest, deepest, but it was something. It was a lot. So so there was always that tradition that with my father, uh, he was the only one. And because he was the only one, his father taught him. 
and he was the only one to get learning f from his dad. And uh, but I didn't learn anything from that. I just was exposed to the idea. Okay, it's a good idea to to go out and learn different things, and it just develops that way. I didn't consciously set out mm. to do that. Do you think it just happened? Do you think fessing up to how much we don't know about opens the door for acquiring a lot more knowledge? Oh, well, we really don't know. It's true. It's much more than what we do know. So there's a lot that we don't know, quite a bit. And uh, let's see. Does admitting that we don't know um, lead up to a quiet, not necessarily, it could, but I don't think it's necessary that it happens that way. I think this, that Richard Feynman put it very well. I think he was one of my top guys. Richard Feynman is probably the most brilliant, one of the, one of the most brilliant scientific minds of the 20th century, including Einstein. He's up there. And he says, well, there's no real reason behind wanting to go and know. We just want to know because we're curious about how does it work in the universe? How, do, how does it happen? And we'll try to figure that out. So we ask the question and we make a guess a hypothesis. We just guess at the what it could be, and then we perform some tests to to prove or disprove this hypothesis. And if the results of the test do not match the prediction, then we're wrong, and we throw it out, and we're wrong a lot. <clears throat> That's what science does. It doesn't have a thesis and try to pick out all the facts that support the thesis and disregard everything else, which is what fundamentalism does. That's what the difference between fundamentalism or pseudoscience is and science. Pseudoscience, junk science, goes around with this idea that they have without actually doing any uh, proper statistical analysis and test and experiment, they'll pick out whatever they want that's found here or there that supports this hypothesis and disregard everything else. And you see that a lot. And then they, they support it by promulgating this on the social media. And more people read it and they say, oh, that must be true because so-and-so said, oh, okay. And then everybody's going to start believing it. Well, that's not a good way of learning or, or finding what is. I don't think that that's the love for science that you're talking about either. What, what, what I hear when you talk about science um, is this kind of letting go of the self, the little self, in a way, and an agenda or an ego, 
because you're not attached to what's going to happen or your or truth itself is held above all else. So yeah, well, whatever the truth whatever the truth is, that's what we're interested in. It has nothing to do with us. That's the ideal. Not everybody goes with that ideal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the that's the pinnacle of it. But unfortunately, there's also ego that's involved in a lot of places. So sure. So they'll come up with this idea and, and then proven later on to be completely wrong. So, yeah, it's, I have seen it a lot, mm. you know, it, it, out there. Um, yeah, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, me too. Uh, okay, final question I'd like to ask you. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's one area of yourself that you'd like to improve upon? Oh, there isn't just one area. Oh, well, how about just one? There's a lot of areas. <laughs> There's a whole lot of things we work on always. So you have to be a little bit more specific with that. Mm, I, okay. It's, Spirit, too, let's say it's too hard to, to pick out one mm. thing. There's about too many. In the, in the spiritual realm or in your practices of yoga? Ah, well, now that's a good... I think I, I should have more time for reflection and quiet because my tendency is to get up and start... I see something that I need to get done, like vacuum the floor, so I want to pop up right away and vacuum the floor. Okay, that's a mundane uh, example, but that's true. And, and so I think I should have more, because there's so much that I want to do all the time, and that makes it hard to, to sit down and focus on one thing. So I think that would be good. If I, I used to be much more rigorous about meditation. I think I should do that more. And yep, that's it. <laughs>